But if you go to any landfill and just spend 30 minutes there and watch what still goes in, you'd be beside yourself. You wouldn't believe it. Tons of cardboard, paper, plastics. I mean, food waste. Food waste is ridiculous. I mean, it's over 40%. Welcome to On the Mission with Norwex Learning Network. I'm Amy Kadora. I created this show to help raise awareness about issues that can impact our quality of life, including harmful chemicals, plastic pollution, and sustainability. We'll also explore the simple changes that you can make to improve you, your families, and the planet's health. Kuhar is the Vice President of Champion Waste and Recycling Services. Champion is a leader in waste diversion and recycling, and they service the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They've really helped to change the landscape of how waste and recycling materials are serviced and processed, and they've been doing it for more than 21 years. Today, they have more than 140 employees, and they also have four recycling plants, including the first biochar processing facility in North Texas, and also a compost facility. Paul actually studied at the Art Institute of Dallas, majoring in graphic design and animation, which is a skill that he uses for Champion's business development needs, including whenever they need web design and also social media platform work. And while he's not tackling waste and uh, recycling solutions for Champion's clients, he enjoys spending quality time with his wife, Michelle, who's actually the president of Champion Waste and Recycling and their four children. Hi everyone, I'm Amy Backus. I'm a marketing manager on Amy Kadora's team. I'm stepping in today. Thanks, Paul, for being here. We're really looking forward to hearing from an expert in the recycling industry. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Paul Kuhar with Champion Waste and Recycling Services out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, we are a commercial waste and recycling hauler and recycle processor with four recycling plants. We have a commercial recycling facility, a construction recycling facility, wood processing facility, and an organics facility, which will be opening up here in just a couple of months. Tell us a little bit about what you do and and a little bit more detail into the recycling industry. So we provide various programs to uh, mainly commercial accounts. We do do some residential recycling uh, when they're combined with a what we call a multi-tenant high-rise building. So typically the bottom floor is, you know, restaurants, commercial space. The top part is residential space. Um, and so we take that same approach from curbside recycling where you hear the buzzword single stream where you can mix everything within the container. And we apply that to the commercial sector as well. So it gives our clients a chance to expand their program from some of the things they learn, you know, at their house and what they do there, and then take that to work as well. So we can be a little more robust, a little more diverse in our programs. A little bit about some of the most common things um, that are put in for recycling that you can't recycle. So we get, it's funny, we get asked that a lot. And some of the obvious ones um, that, that always, it's, probably one of the first ones that always comes to my mind in what we do is, you know, styrofoam. And a lot of people, especially in the commercial space say, well, you know, you can densify that you can, you know, it it definitely is recyclable. 
And I always divert back to two main things really that are with any of our programs. It's, it depends on the volume of what you're receiving. Um, and of course, economics, uh, you know, we have to process this material and obviously to invest the time in processing it, you obviously want to return on uh, the material that you sell. And for us, styrofoam doesn't weigh anything at all. And when you look at it in terms of volume, it can look like a lot, but then when you break it down, um, there just isn't that much of it. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the biggest ones for us. Uh, plastics is another one where, you know, you hear plastics one through seven, and it's different at the curb versus what we get, you know, commercially as well. So they're, they're very similar. The numbers are the same, but yet what you get might be a little bit different. And some of those resins have, you know, multiple mixes. So it just depends on you know, what we get. And so we, we th- those are probably the two biggest things we get asked, um, you know, often uh, as far as actual material where they say, well, if we put this in there, will that get recycled? You know, yes or no. And again, it's just, it depends on the plant, where you are. And again, you know, the volume, you know, we don't get a lot of styrofoam, you know, we do get it in packaging and in boxes and things, but by the time it goes through the process and you break it out, there just isn't a lot left over. So. Oh. Do we need to separate out different materials on items like the lid off of plastic bottles, the plastic part of the cardboard tissue box, or the plastic windows out of mail? It really depends. Like you're gonna hear you're gonna hear me say that a lot today. That it depends, and it really does. And it it depends on a couple of things. One is where you are, you know, within the country, uh, you know, East Coast, West Coast versus Southwest, Midwest. It just depends on where you are. It depends on the programs that are available. And more importantly, it's the operator. You know, who are you taking the material to? What is their threshold for, you know, the amount of materials they want versus they don't want, contamination? You know, all of those things are, are very relevant. You know, for us, it's, again, it goes back to what makes the most sense for us. So to, to answer your first question, when you talk about the bottles, right? So there are places now that are starting to take those caps, you know, and recycle them, you know, because you used to hear, hey, take the cap off the bottle you know, put the water bottle in or the Gatorade bottle uh, separately. There are some places that are um, now recycling the caps. There's some safety issues with those as well. Like the reason a lot of places would tell you to make sure the caps are off is if they were sealed as they're going through the bailing process and the pressure, you know, those things have been known to blow off and, you know, could hit someone. Um, And so, but we, it it comes down to, I guess a third component is, simplicity as well, right? So you want to make the program uh, as easy as possible to make it as successful as possible. And so again, it, it, it really depends, right? I, you know, I, I, I'll keep harping on that, but for, for us, I, you know, I, we tell our customers, Hey, here's the program. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do in an ideal situation. This would be the most practical thing, right? If you could take the caps off, take them off. If you can rinse out the containers, rinse them out. If you can, you know, if the soda bottles half full, if you could dump it out. But in real practical terms, that just doesn't happen. You know, we're creatures of habit. People get lazy. They see a empty container. They just throw something away. They're not even thinking about what, you know, where it's going, what has to be done to it. And so we just tell people we don't encourage contamination. We don't encourage, um, you know, that type of behavior. But to really sit here and tell you that, oh, it's 100% and everyone complies, that's just not true, right? You're, you're going to have those variances that, that happen in the stream. 
Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And that was kind of another question that we were talking about is, you know, what cardboard can and cannot be recycled? And, um, you know, is it, I've heard that the, the waxy and milky finish and greasy stained food cardboard can't be recycled. Again, is that kind of vary depending on location? You know, that one is, is honestly kind of very clear right now, right? So most people do not want the waxy cardboard, right? Because you have that film on it. And when it goes through the pulping process and stuff, you know, it dunks up that process. So there's that it's pretty clear in terms of that. You know, we don't see, you know, a lot of that. I mean, typically you'll see it like with, um, you know, types of produce or meats or fish, you know, you'll see that stuff shipped in those types of boxes makes the box obviously more stout, um, overall than a normal cardboard box. Um, so when we come across, you know, manufacturers of that type of stuff in terms of, Hey, this, this is a food guy. And this is typically what his cardboard is. We try to look for alternative ways for other diversion tactics there. You know, what other materials would he have, um, is there other opportunities? And if front and center is just, hey, no, I have a lot of waxy cardboard. You know, as a you know, a local family-owned company, you know, we always try to divert as much as we can, and we always put feelers out there to say, hey, we have this material. Here's some samples. Is there anything that can be done with it? And ultimately, if there's not, then you know, we go back to the client and say, you know, there's nothing we can do. We'll keep trying, right? But in you know, and if if there's nothing that they can do from a product standpoint, where they have to have that kind of box, you know, for the sake of their business and what they're transporting in it and nothing can be changed. Then ultimately it's just a landfill material at that point. One thing that's always come up, um, talk to us a little bit about the numbers and symbols on the recyclable products and what they mean. Uh, Cause I think there's a lot of us that are really not sure what all that means. Okay. So it, it's funny because plastics runs the gamut, right? So you see one through one through seven, some of the ones that are most common that we're most familiar with. So you start with, you know, PET, you know, number one. And really that when we do our programs, the easiest thing to identify is a water bottle, right? It's that's the easiest thing to identify. Uh, number one, um, there's also colored PET, right? Which would come in like a dark, you know, a dark blue or a green or something like that. You see some of those other bottles out there as well. Um, so there is a difference between clear and colored in terms of its, ability to be recycled it's the same a lot of it is you know honestly on the back end you know what the value is in that commodity um you have plastic number two which is hdpe those can be separated as well between natural and colored so you think of natural like a milk jug uh colored you know would be the different colored bottles that different products come in uh conditioners hair care products things like that um, that's, you know, so again, you have the, the natural and the colored and those two, um, three is PPC or vinyl, um, which from a residential standpoint, we really don't come across that hardly at all. Um, so it's one that's really, that's where you always kind of hear that buzz, like, oh, three through seven can't be recycled, right? You hear that a lot where, yeah, ones and twos. Ones and twos can because they're obviously the most obvious. It's what we have the most of at the house. Um, three through seven, like I said, it does get tricky. So you have number three is vinyl. Four is LDPE, so low density, which in terms of what a resident would look at is like a shopping bag, you know, like a Walmart bag or something like that. There are places like you, you'll see them, like Target has one. They'll have a kiosk where you can bring bags back and stuff. 
We don't see a lot of that on the residential side, um, just because when you put that in the mix, you know, there's you get issues for wrapping or cross contamination, you know, within within a whole stream. We do get a lot of low density uh, film on the commercial side. So think shrink wrap, right? So when they palletize and shrink wrap product, we get a lot of that film in and we do recycle and bail that film. And we, there, there's a lot of that out there uh, from the commercial space. Uh, number five, you know, polypropylene, you know, the ketchup bottle, toys, some furniture uh, that, you know, we have a couple clients that are processors that make that material, you know, make toys and furniture and, and there's some byproduct there. Again, not something that we see a lot of. Um, number six, you know, styrene, again, think of, uh, you know, when I think of a resident, think of like a CD case, you know, so it's, it's, you're starting to get into these more, you know, I'll kind of call them kind of exotic things, right? Like when you're at home, you're not, from at least what we see, you know, we don't get a lot of people asking, hey, can we recycle, you know, these CD cases or like hard pack type material? Um, it always goes back, like I said, those ones and the twos. Uh, and number seven is really just other. And in that other is mainly, you know, you'll see like acrylic. So on the commercial side, you know, you'll see like signs or shelving. You can get acrylic, you know, material there. On the residential side, again, especially in the in the dealings we have, we don't see a lot of that. We mainly see, you know, your ones and your twos, and then obviously, you know, your aluminum cans and you know your wine bottles and things like that where you get glass. But for plastic, mainly ones and twos. That's really helpful to know. So, what what percentage of people in the north in North America have access to good recycling programs? Um, so, designated bins, weekly pickup. Um, and, and also what percentage of people that have access actually participate? I don't, I can't really speak to like the country as a whole, you know, I'll, I'll speak about Texas for just a moment. And, you know, you could see it when you talk about the country, obviously any major metropolitan city, you know, New York, LA, you know, Chicago, they're going to have robust curbside programs. They'll have a lot of availability. Um, here in Texas, same thing, you know, you go to Dallas, Austin, Houston, San Antonio, they all have big, uh, municipal programs, the cities with, you know, the suburb cities within that major metropolitan city have robust programs. There's a lot of, um, availability for, uh, you know, single stream MRFs there where you see it fall off is, you know, in any kind of rural area, you know, there's really here in Texas, there's the programs are almost non-existent. You know, there are some smaller towns uh, in any direction, whether you went north, you know, east, south, or west. There's smaller towns that are trying to do some stuff. But again, it's just, it's driven by population, right? So if there's not a large population, there's not a large presence, there's not, you know, a lot of need for those types of programs. It's not that people don't want them. There are, I mean, here in Texas, there are some smaller towns that, you know, are, are, essentially almost begging to get these programs there because they, they see the need and they see the benefit form. Um, but you, it, it, here in Texas, in any one of the big cities, you can see there's on average, there's probably three to four at a minimum, you know, big, large, you know, single stream MRFs. And then there'll be smaller, you know, cardboard bale plants, or there might be plastic, just plastic only type plants. So there's, there's a, there's a huge availability there. And I can't imagine, you know, in some of the places that I've traveled throughout the country, I, ha I haven't really come across in any of the bigger cities, you know, 
well, we, we don't really have this or we don't have that. They have it. Um, I think their issue becomes more contamination, right, which equals education um, because there because there are so many people and there are so many variances between programs. You know, people will say, well, hey, I was dealing with this company and they said, well, I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that. And again, it always comes back to, like I said, it depends, right? It depends on who you're dealing with, what markets that, you know, they have available to them. And when you're talking about, say, you know, a municipality, like, you know, where we all live in our individual homes, they'll have a contract or they'll have a provider. And it's a very kind of set way of how they do things, right? Which rightfully so, they may have, you know, in some cases, some of the cities here may have, you know, half a million people, you know, in one city, you know, 200,000, 300,000. So you want it, you want consistency and you want to make sure the messaging and the program is the same. But then there's also kind of that, you know, that competitive edge, right? Where you have other providers that may say, okay, well, you're doing, you know, A, B, and C. Well, I'm going to do A, B, C, D, and F because, you know, we're passionate about recycling. We want to divert more. We can divert more, or we have these other markets that are available to us. And so to me, it, it, that actually, that kind of that kaleidoscope effect benefits, you know, the residents, benefits the businesses, because now you have more capacity, you know, you have more people that can do more things. So all in all, I think, you know, the consumer benefits, you know, ultimately with all these providers that are there. If they're not seeing clear directions on recycling, is it something to where they should just reach out to them, call them um, and find out more of the specifics? Surely they've got kind of like a list of um, do's and don'ts for recycling in their areas, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, every every program has the do's and the don'ts and they have them on their website. They have them on the carts. Um, you'll find, at least we do, that, like I said, some of the obvious stuff, like when we talk about plastics, you know, people will say, well, I know, you know, my water bottles, my soda cans and say my milk jugs, those are recyclable. But what about this or that? Those seem to be some of the questions. And again, the answer varies and it depends on, you know, where, where you are. I mean, for us, it's always been try to, you know, to divert as much as possible. That makes the most economic sense, you know, because at the end of the day, ultimately, you know, when you go back to that hierarchy, you know, reduce, reuse and recycle, you know, especially from, I'll say the commercial standpoint, right, from a commercial client, you really want them to, you know, reduce as much waste as they possibly have, reuse as much as they possibly can. And then, you know, that's where, say, a company like Champion comes in to say, okay, now we'll try to recycle, you know, what's left over. A lot of it always comes back to, you know, in a lot of these conferences we attend um, is packaging, right? You know, make packaging that can be recycled, that can run through these facilities. There's a lot of smart people out there. There's a lot of great technology. Um, you know, I get from marketing, you want, you know, sleek and cool and, you know, interesting packaging because that's what sells, right? I mean, but at the end of the day, it's if you truly want to say, you know, we want to be able to recycle 100% of what we sell or we want to divert, you know, even 60, 70%, you have to make sure what's going into the program and runs through the system actually can be recycled and not the other way around where you're just running, you know, pretty garbage. Right. Oh, yeah. So, so true. Yeah. So as far as there was one thing you wish everyone knew about recycling, what would that be? It's not free. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, you say there was no hesitation there. No, it, it's, um, and that's a great question. That, that's a great question because um, we get asked that a lot and the answers vary. Um, I, I've listened to different people speak and, you know, the answers, there's all kinds of answers. But for me is when you actually, and I encourage people, no matter where you are in the country or actually anywhere in the world, if you are involved in recycling, if your company is, or you are, you know, ask questions, say, hey, where does this stuff go? Can we get a tour? Can we understand it? And when you see for yourself, the actual, when, when we say, oh, there's a processing fee or there's processing, it truly is in the, the biggest sense of that word. It's a process. I mean, you have collection trucks that pick it up that are very expensive and they're going out, they're collecting material that's co-mingled on a truck. Then they go to a, you know, to a recycling facility with very sophisticated equipment that costs a lot of money to try to extract as much of this stuff as we can you know, with technology, you know, before you have, you know, manual sorting done and then you have people there and then stuff gets sorted and bailed and shipped. You know, there's lots of steps. I mean, if you actually put pen to paper, I mean, there's a lot of steps, especially depending on where your stuff's going versus, oh, I pick it up in a truck. I go to a landfill. I bury it in a hole, right? There's, there's nothing. It's, you know, yeah, you have a collection truck and it does the same thing. It goes around and picks up containers, but it gets to a landfill they put it in a cell and they cover it up and you go about your business. And so, you know, we, we encourage people all the time. I mean, check out, you know, different YouTube videos if you can't get to a place, but really understand the process and, you know, know that, you know, it's, it's, it's not cheap, um, but it's the right thing to do. Uh, obviously we believe in it wholeheartedly and I, you know, at the rate we're going, and the stuff that we've seen, the amount of waste, I mean, there is so much waste. Um, it, it's, it's just mind boggling sometimes to actually wrap your head around. And again, we're one company of, you know, many throughout the, throughout the world that are doing this. But if you go to any landfill and just spend 30 minutes there and watch what still goes in, you, you'd be beside yourself. You wouldn't believe it. The stuff that still goes in there, tons of cardboard, paper, plastics, I mean, food waste. Lot, food waste is ridiculous. I mean, it's over 40% of what goes in. Oh. My, it's mind boggling. Oh my goodness. I didn't realize it was that, that high of a percentage. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense if you think about it. So, but I, yeah, that's, I mean, that's where composting comes in. And I know that you're opening up, right? A compost facility. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. We will be open in uh, mid-June of this year. We we actually implemented um, organic recycling here back in 2008 at our company um, and started very small uh, with some of the big food manufacturers because it's obviously easy pickings from, you know, what they do. Their process is food, you know, where they're chopping and washing and cutting. You know, when you go to a you know, a, a Kroger, a, a Target, a Walmart, and they have the big trays of fruit or vegetables. Well, that's all been through a process where they trim it and they cut it. Uh, if stuff doesn't meet their quality control standards, that all gets tossed out. And so we were able to start identifying some of our, our local um, businesses here that did that to divert that to compost. And then it kind of slowly grew from there. Now we offer you know, you know, trailer, you know, trailer loads of stuff all the way down to a 64 gallon cart at a restaurant that's doing back of the house, pre, you know, kitchen prep. And so if they're prepping the food for our dinner, you know, there's scraps and stuff from that process. They're able to uh, put that in these carts and we're able to take it there. And so we decided um, actually before the pandemic hit, 
that it was something we were very passionate about. We saw a real need for it. Um, like I told you earlier, the number is around 40% in the landfill. That creates true methane, right? And you can go down that rabbit hole with you know, climate, you know, climate change and things there. But we saw a real need to divert that. I mean, there's, there's a hierarchy with food waste as well. And obviously, you know, feed people first. Um, the fact that there's this much waste and we actually have people that are hungry and can't eat is very, very sad, honestly. Um, you know, we come in at the very last, we come in at the last you know, part of the hierarchy before it goes to landfills to make compost. There's a few things way above that. But yeah, we're really excited about it because it gives us a chance to take that material that, you know, currently is destined for a landfill, take it out, create a nice nutrient dense soil, put it back in the ground, you know, where it can be turned into, you know, they could use it on farms and grow crops and make that full circle. So we're, we're really excited about that. So what developments for the future of recycling are you the most excited about or looking forward to getting more involved with? Uh, the first one is technology. There's a lot of great stuff coming out. Um, you know, if you just look at the last 10 years, just in the changes in the last 10 years from, you could go all the way down to the, you know, to the curb. So the way, you know, the carts, the trucks, all the technology there, the MRF technology, the stuff, the, the different types of sorting equipment that's coming out um, in, in all lines of recycling, right? So commercial, residential, construction, food waste, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. Um, and there's a big push, right? There's a, everyone sees the need you know, I, I look at it really how I always tell people is no matter the recycling center, at the end of the day, the way I envision it is this is a place where materials come that previously were destined to, for a landfill, right? Before these facilities even existed. This is a facility that will extract absolutely as much material as it possibly can to recover it for beneficial reuse, you know, whatever the product, you know, whatever the material might be, turn it into a different product. Um, so that's what excites me the most. I think what you'll see maybe as soon as the next 10 years, there's facilities that exist now, what I'm about to describe, but I think you'll see it become more of like the mainstream where these are most of the facilities that go in. It's kind of this, like, I'm going to say kind of multi-stream MRF, right? Where you could take in commercial, residential, construction, food waste, all at this one place, right? And, and obviously it's like a big cat and mouse trap in there, you know, conveyors going everywhere and all kinds of stuff. But you kind of have this like this center that's consuming material or almost kind of scrubbing the material before it goes to the landfill, right? So if you just think of it like, you know, look at, take it all the way down to just one cart. So if you dumped your cart, everything, you know, everything that could be extracted gets extracted. And then whatever can't be for whatever reason, you know, it's not. And I, and I think, you know, from at least some of the people that I know within the industry, you know, we're starting to see that now, but I think it'll be kind of a, a staple in the future where, you know, whatever they might be called, you know, it's this multi-material MRF or something, whatever the buzzword becomes. But I think that's what you'll start to see. You'll still have your individual residential MRF or, you know, maybe your individual compost facility, and those all have their places and, they're all, and they'll all have, you know, big success. But I think in the bigger areas, you know, your bigger cities, you'll start to kind of see these much larger campuses, if you will, consume, you know, all the material and then whatever is considered residual is residual. And that's kind of what we should work, you know, work, work towards in the future. 
So tell me a little bit, just quickly before we wrap up, about our relation, your relationship with Norwex and our recycling that we do with you all. Okay. So Norwex is uh, honestly a great example of a commercial client that has, you know, various materials um, through the shipping process um, that wanted to divert as much as they can. And we always kind of, I always say, you know, think big, start small, right? So you think about where do you want to go? What do you want the program to be? But let's start small. Let's start with the obvious stuff. And so for Norwex, you know, it was cardboard. There was a lot of fiber. So we did cardboard. And then we looked at the, you know, the LDPE film, like I said, from shrink wrap and things. And then it might be, you know, wooden pallets and broken pieces of, you know, basically what people in that space would call like warehouse trash, right? And that's what they, that's what it would be. Oh, it's just warehouse trash. It's floor sweepings. It's, it's nothing that's good. But when you actually look at the material, it's all material that can be diverted. And so right now what we're currently working on, so we have those things covered. So cardboard and film and non-confidential paper and plastic. The next thing would be the food waste, right? So at the, you know, at the particular facilities we work at, you know, break room, you know, cafe type material, what can we divert there? And so that's what we're looking at uh, right now. And we designed equipment that fit the need of that facility, you know, so they have large compaction equipment um, that compacts the cardboard and all the material mix. It's all commingled. And then it comes to our facility where we dump it, grade it, and then process out all that material. I know that we're really looking forward to adding composting to our facilities at Norwex um, because of that waste and just already making so much progress on the side of cardboard and the plastic wrap and all of that that we're doing, um, but just adding that extra step uh, to what we're doing um, at our facilities. So we're, we're thankful for this relationship that we have with you all. And we are as well. We're super excited about it. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I think that's it. I, I guess really maybe the last thing and probably it, it just, again, recycling, you know, it, it just depends on where you are. Right. So obviously whoever's listening to this, you know, there's, there's obvious things that can be recycled. There are some hard, hard things that you can recycle, but it might take a little bit more digging, but, you know, just investigate where you're at, reach out, I always say, and obviously I'm in this business, that's why I always say it, but it, it's find out where your stuff's going, see if you can get a tour, understand the process. Um, you know, that, you know, knowledge is power and it really is. The more that you know, the more that you're educated, the better you can do at recycling and understand the true impacts. I think a lot of people ask, well, why am I doing that? I mean, who cares? I mean, what difference does it make? And I think if you see how it's done and the true impact of your efforts, um, I, I think that would be a real pivotal thing for, for a lot of people. A lot of people just toss things in a bin and they're like, yeah, they pick it up. It goes, I don't, I don't know what happens. I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm making an impact or not, but I think if you actually see it and, you know, whoever your local uh, processor is, you know, understand the true impact, we, we really are making a huge difference. Um, we have a lot, you know, we have a long way to go. There's lots of improvement, but we can keep striving to be better. Absolutely. There's still things that we can do to make a difference and an impact in our environment, especially with Earth Day coming up. It's even more of a reminder of the effects of our daily life on our environment and what we can do, steps that we can make um, to to be better, you know, to um, take that extra step to recycle. And it just makes a difference um, in the long run. And if, if everybody takes advantage of the services that they have, um, and is conscious of it. And that's what we need to do uh, to, to make a difference. 
Agreed. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, we, we loved hearing more about recycling and learning what we should, should and should not be doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share with friends and family and don't forget to follow and subscribe.